today we're talking about the three most common mistakes that apartment buyers make and how you can avoid them. Apartments are a lot more common in the major capital cities, especially Sydney and Melbourne. But regardless of where you're looking to buy, there are some particularly big issues you need to be aware of. We're going to share with you how you can create a plan and make sure you don't get caught out. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. boy and and there are so many things so many we're only going to talk about three veronica there's like (laughs) in fact you know what we we will do we'll create something for everybody to download at the end of this that can be like a little bit of a prompter so we'll 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 have something there for you of course we will but you know (laughs) it doesn't matter what state you're in whether when you're buying an apartment or a strata title property you normally do something along the lines of calling it's called a strata report before you buy a property. So, you know, when you buy a house, everyone knows you get a building and pest inspection and they tick that box. Uh, Well, with Strata, it's like you get a Strata report or the equivalent in whatever state you're in, right? And then you tick that box. The problem is it's not as simple as ticking that box. There's a lot more that you need to understand because you're buying into a community effectively. So, like you're buying into an arrangement where you live with other people. It's a whole democracy, all of its own. But also under the one roof. Often (laughs) under the run roof and you've also got um you've got responsibilities and obligations to that community and to that building too when you buy into a complex so let's run and they've got they've got responsibilities and obligations to you um but you've got to understand where those responsibilities and obligations start and finish because you know, and I have found and heard horror stories of people who have entered into these kind of um, living arrangements and, and bought into complexes without really understanding the implications on their lifestyle mm. of what actually can be imposed on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's let's start off with um, something that is called, you know, what's on title. Um, a title is the thing that you actually own. It's, it's yeah. bits of the property that you own that are either on the title to you or they might be exclusive use only, which means that you don't actually own them, but you have the right to use them 
well, they might be common property and that is everybody can use them and you don't have any exclusivity or, or particular rights more than anyone else does. I mean, this is this is such a big one because I know when you did Location, Location, Location Australia, there was an absolutely crackingly bad example of this. Um, <laughs> was it down south, Victoria Way or something? No, it was south of you, north of uh, me. It right. was actually in Byron Bay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but our buyer was from Victoria. So there you go. You got a bit of everything in there. Um, and look. Details. <laughs> details, detail, detail, schmetails. So the thing is that when you're buying a strata property, people just assume, I guess, that what you know, what what you see in front of you is what you have, right? So in this particular example, we were looking at a villa in Byron Bay and there was an outdoor so area. So a villa has, um, it's not sort of stacked on top of each other. It, it's mm. just its own level, but it could have a common wall. Correct. Or was it, yep, or yeah. it could be so freestanding. Yeah, they sometimes they're freestanding, sometimes they have common walls, they often have a shared driveway. And so there's different types of, of apartments, right? So that villa unit, they call it in Victoria, there's lots of them apparently in Victoria. Um, mm. And you see them around Sydney a little bit. So they're not that common, but they do have, they've got a garden, usually they're, they're single level, a lot of downsizers like them and sort of first home buyers are starting to like them too because it's like a, a little house, you know. Yeah, yeah. And in this yeah. case it had an outdoor area and it was advertised, you know, on the floor plan, the advertising material and everything. There was this outdoor area, a deck and a garden and a fence and an outdoor shower and a whole bit which you need when you're close to the beach, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the assumption obviously is that that's what you're getting. Now, when there's a bit of a gap with what happens when you buy a property and then you go to the, the solicitor or the conveyancer to do the legal work. And, and the fact is that they don't ever see the property. So mm. if they don't know the questions to ask you, then you're not going to know to tell them to look for certain things, right? So this is a massive example of a gap. And so this outdoor area, I know to look on the floor plan. And when you look on the floor plan, you want to see in the, in the strata plan. So there's a document called the strata plan or something similar in so every this, state. Yeah, so let's let's clarify. This is really important. This is not the floor plan that the agent puts on the advertising. No. This is the legal strata plan. It's what you're actually buying. So it's really important really to get different. a copy of the strata mm. plan um, and look at what's on the lot. So you've got to look at the lot number. And so I look at the lot number and I'm looking for all the things that I think we're buying. And I look at, so if I'm buying an apartment, I might be, the agent may say, there's a storage cage, there's a car space, there's a courtyard, there's, you know, there's the actual internal uh, living area. And I want to know it's all actually on title because I want to know I'm getting what I think I'm paying for. So in this particular case, <laughs> I could see on the floor plan or the strata plan, not the agent's floor plan had a garden in it, the strata plan didn't. And I'm like, oh, there's a problem. Now I know because I do this and we will get to this because the next thing is the bylaws. But when there's a, if you don't have something on title, like an outdoor area, for instance, or a car space or a storage cage, but you have exclusive use of it, then that's a right that's been given to you, but you don't actually own it. Mm. So, and that will be in the bylaws. And I want to know things like, okay, A, has that right been given? B, is there a is there an expiration date on that? C, can it be voted out by voted other out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these are all things that obviously a lawyer can advise you on. But I know enough that I would look for that. Well, I immediately look to the bylaws. So I think 
think, okay, if they've got exclusive use, I know there will be a bylaw. And so I look in there and there is a bylaw there, yay. And then I realise that the bylaw is only for half of the outdoor space as has been used by this owner. And so there was a deck. And it was quite beautifully done, wasn't it? Like it was really quite personalised and and it really felt like it was part of your property. It added value, put it that Mm. way. And so the deck had been approved, the garden hadn't. And so there was a wall and a gate that shouldn't have been there. And so I drew that to the attention of the lawyer and then the lawyer makes inquiries with the, the vendor's solicitor. And, of course, then it turns out the vendor actually bought it like that the vendor thought that they got the garden too. Nobody picked it up. Oh, so it was a bit historical. To, yeah. So we had to negotiate um, prior to going to auction. Now, ultimately, didn't even buy this one. <laughs> we got blown out of the water at auction. But but the point being that we Do you think, gonna... oh, can I just pick up on that point? Um, mm. it, I want to let you finish, but I don't want to leave it. You got blown out of the water at auction. Do you think that those people who paid far more than you did didn't understand the implications of it being only partly on title, not really? You You got it. 100%. They had no idea. So actual in, in... Lack of knowledge meant they paid extraordinary overs by the sound yes. of Yes. And, in fact, in a hot market, that is one of the big, big dangers people get drawn into. And this is a massive mistake in a, particularly with apartments, mm. not doing all of your due diligence. It's so much better to let something go if you're being rushed by agents or you're being rushed because the market's so hot and somebody's yep. throwing hot offers or whatever. If you haven't got time to properly make sure and dot those I's and cross those T's, yes, you could easily buy a property and think you're getting something that you weren't mm-hmm. actually getting. Mm-hmm. So oh, that is absolutely frightening and so i will look but sometimes i've actually believe it or not i've discovered a storeroom that the vendor didn't know they owned (laughs) (laughs) so it can go the other way (laughs) you know because they do on the strata plan they have a a, there's you know really old buildings have square feet right but most most buildings have square meters and so they have square meters on title in total and so you start adding it up you go well there's the floor plan that's x amount of square meters and there's we've still got another 20 to go well what else is there how's that for a hot little tip everybody so veronica's saying don't just don't just look at the floor plan that the agent puts online that's a good starting point It, it it raises your awareness to things about questions you might want to ask. But then dig in deeper, start adding up. If if what is actually on plan doesn't add up, either it's too much or it's too little, then there's a whole lot of questions that you can ask there that will reveal an awful lot more before you even start working out what to pay for the property. Absolutely. And so, you know, when you realise there's three square metres unaccounted for, and I'm like, go hunting in through the strata plan to find this little <laughs> web of, of storage cages. I'm like, there's a storage cage on title. Of course, then I go and inspect the property again, you know, because a lot of yeah. people only look once and they're rushed to buy it. Go and have a look at the car space. You know, we're going back to, you know, what is on title? What are you actually buying? Make sure you get what you think you're getting. You know, I've gone down and hunted it out, found it. So there you go. That's on title. So you know, the new buyer can go and get a storage cage for Has free, got effectively. A, got, a, got a storage <laughs> cage. You just mentioned um, car parks. We, we mm-hmm. have actually looked into apartments where car park has been noted as being, you know, part of 
the property that you're buying, part of the, the apartment that you're buying. But when you look at the strata plan um, or community title plan, it is actually just exclusive use. And that has a very different value proposition. And it's really important to understand that because you don't want to be paying for something you don't own. And actually, if it can be voted, if, if the change yeah. can be voted, then you may actually lose that car park um, if, if there was a vote, if it was put to a vote that you, you, you know, depending on what the bylaws say. Yeah. The, interestingly enough, I always look at car parks for lots of reasons. I've known, I've gone and looked at properties and found that the owner's been using the wrong car park for years. You know, that's actually not theirs on title. Um, of the strangest things. And so uh, I've also gone and looked at one property where the car space sort of nosed in under the ramp going up to the next level, which meant Ooh. that unless you had a very short car, yeah. You couldn't actually park in it. Now, it has... Or a very low sports car. A very low, very low car or a very short car, right? So, so, and yet on the title, it's got the actual dimensions marked out because on the floor, on the, on the ground... On the actual ground, that's it's there. The size. But it's you just that volumetric part of it isn't going yeah. to allow for an awful lot. Yeah. yeah you oh, couldn't get a bonnet under it. And in fact, what it was very funny because this particular property had been rented out it had this huge wad of foam <laughs> taped onto the edge of this land <laughs> because they kept rolling rolling driving into obviously it obviously nosing and just squeezing it as close as possible until they got wedged underneath the you know <laughs> <laughs> God, can you imagine the front of the car how many times have they gone under and just dented it down oh, a little bit <laughs> not only that but you think about this you know when cars they sort of drop a little bit when you get in it yeah. And so you need to get four people in it to be able to get it out from underneath the ramp. <laughs> can you imagine you've got to, you've got your neighbours walking past and you go, can you just pop in my car so yeah, I can I back out from under the ramp? <laughs> I could have wedged my, myself a little. <laughs> let the air out of your tyres so you can get out of your car space. So, And I've also seen car spaces where there's a monstrous great big pylon sort of edging into it and mm -hmm. which makes manoeuvring in and out really difficult. Yeah, particularly so, if you've got a long wheelbase. Yeah. My, so my these... car's very long. It's 5.25 metres. So to actually get into something that has a pylon like that in the wrong position yeah. is almost a 30-point you know, turning exercise. So depending on what car you've, you've, you've got, if that, if that impediment is actually there, then, you, you know, you could actually provide a lot of entertainment for your neighbours when you're parking every day. Yes. So these are things that often buyers don't think about. And often agents will say during an open house as well, they say, oh, look, I can't show you the parking today because it's only me here, you know. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll be cheeky and say, well, just throw me the keys. I'll bring them back to you. But that is me. I'll get away with that. But, but also opening your car door. So, we, we, yes. you know, we're talking the course about the fact that if, you know, if a car, if car space is too narrow and then you've got the cars either side of you, mm. you, you, you've almost got to make a decision as to whether it's the passenger that can get in or out or you can get as a driver can get in, in or out because you've got to really go to one side of the car park or even negotiate that you both park on, you know, opposite sides so that you've got a common area that you can actually get into your car. <laughs> it's, it's, that can be really tight. Yeah, and you will find that car space, open car spaces are narrower than garages mm. um, because of that reason. So they do encroach. Your door will encroach into your neighbours and theirs will encroach into yours. But one one little trick too is floor plans. You can't 100% rely on the dimensions on an agent's floor plan. And 
And so what no, I There's plenty of disclaimers see, on those floor plans. Oh, isn't yes. There? What I often see in a, like in the parking part of an apartment uh, floor plan is particularly in an older building where they've got a garage, a lot of these red brick three-story yeah. walk-ups are like this. They have a garage and people go, oh, great, I've got a garage. That's great. But they don't think how wide is that garage. Now, it's a dead giveaway when there's no dimension on the garage, so on the floor <laughs> plan. So there's a little trick for you, a track. Uh, a trick for young players and I have seen garages as narrow as two meters and you cannot really properly park any decent sized car in a two yeah. meter wide garage yeah. really three meters is even starting a two to and a half tight. is tight to yeah even yeah. a two and a half is quite tight to open your door and, and and effectively get in and out of the car and it's only one side of the car that you can get in and out of yep or your passengers get wet in the rain you get, get out I've got to- <laughs> I can't get it. You won't be, or you'll be sleeping in the car. So, you know, these, and these are important things because mm. a lot of people, yeah, they get caught out. They're like, oh, it's mm. a, got a garage. Mm. Oh, good. Mm. Like, can mm. you get into it? Mm. Can you fit a car in it? Um, and is it, and now back to the exclusive use thing. Um, so we're talking about what's on title versus what's exclusive use. And that's really important. As I mentioned, you need a bylaw to give you rights to that, but, and I mentioned earlier, what's really important is how secure are those rights, mm. you know, because if it can, if it's got 100% have to vote it out, then you're fine because you have to vote yourself You have to out. vote it as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you're good. But if there's a percentage but- and you're... And, and you on your own are not going to influence that percentage, then it could be quite dire. Let's talk about bylaws because this mm. kind of flows on a little bit and sometimes people don't understand the impact the bylaws can have on their lives, I mean, how yeah. you actually live in the property. So you've got the strata plan and, and you know, what's on title, what's exclusive use. That's sort of your value proposition. How much should I pay depending on whether it's exclusive use or on title or it's common property? But bylaw, bylaws in, in a, a lot of ways are your livability in the property and, and they mm. govern how how much the the, the the community or the strata can influence what you do and don't do. And I remember being a very, very green agent and, you know, it was one of the first apartments that I sold and, and not really having enough knowledge and I guess that's the value of having a, a, a long time in the industry is I had no concept that the bylaws could actually dictate what day you could hang your washing on the line. (laughs) So in an apartment complex, um, the bylaws could actually state that you can't hang your washing on your balcony and you only have access to a certain line on a certain day in a common area. So what that means is if that day doesn't suit you, you're at work or whatever the case may be, or you sleep in and you miss the line, it's either drier for you or hanging it in your apartment like a Chinese laundry. So it's, it seems like a small thing, but, you know, it, it, it actually can impact your livability on the property, the bylaws. Yeah, absolutely. They're all about, you know, it's community, as I mentioned early on. It's a society, effectively, and some people call it the fourth level of government. So, so <laughs> I haven't heard is... that one. Again, <laughs> I always learn something new on these podcasts. <laughs> Serious business is strata stuff. So, yes, the bylaws are uh, basically outlining uh, a whole bunch of things that are required to be accepted and understood, and they are... Um, you know, they are legally binding and they can be challenged though in the courts. And so there was recently in New South Wales where bylaws were challenged uh, for being harsh and unconscionable, I think it's called, um, ah. 
for pets, for banning mm-hmm. pets. Yep. And so there's it's all tied up in, in state legislation and then obviously strata legislation mm. and then it get up to be challenged. And so a lot of people assume, you know, you can just have a pet. Oh, I can get a cat. I had a, a client recently that said, oh, I'll just cut a cat. Um, there's a pet-friendly complex and they do have pet bylaw, but there are requirements that they have to meet in order to be able to have pets there. So there's mm-hmm. there's usually some outline of what they believe is reasonable and you might not get a bull mastiff in one complex, you <laughs> might get one in another, who knows? Or you might get three cats in one and only a budgie in another. Um, you know, so she said, oh, look, I'm going to cut a cat door in, you know, because she was against the garden, the common area. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cut a cat door um, in the window and I went I don't think you're going to be able to do that I'm not sure about that because that's an external wall isn't it well it's not just that it's just that because you know they don't they're not going to allow pets in the complex to have Roaming. those pets then roam around the complex yeah, it's just yeah. not going to happen yep. and they usually say things like that you know that the the pet must be kept within the lot wholly and solely within the lot and that's mm. the lot is whatever you own and it has to be carried or restrained. So it has to be on a leash or has to be in a, in a cat cage or something mm. um, whilst on common property. So there will be requirements, sometimes size requirements, sometimes a whole noise requirements, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, and so these do affect your livability, like you said. Yep. Look, a big one up here is, um, of course, we have an outdoor lifestyle. We have warm weather. People like to barbecue. And there are certain bylaws mm. in some complexes where you're not allowed to have a gas cylinder on your on your balcony because of the risk of explosion and fire. So it, it's, it's a common sense kind of one. It makes sense. But if you're thinking that you're going to be able to have friends over and have barbecues on a Sunday and, and you know, it's going to form part of your life, lifestyle but the bylaw actually prevents that 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 could have an impact on how you use your apartment and your and and your entertainment capacity because you might have to go to your common areas to actually do that and in some places you've got to book the common areas to be able to use the barbecue so it may be that the weekends that you want to use that someone else has already booked it um so this is all these layers i love that fourth level of government that 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 is an absolute (laughs) you know it just describes it so well because um if you if you put that um, gas cylinder on your your balcony and and of course they're going to find out because one of your neighbours will always dob you in. Just don't think you can ever hide anything in a, in a strata well, it's complex. It's sort of obvious as well. <laughs> Most balconies are fairly visible. <laughs> but the thing too, not just barbecue cylinders and the fire risk, but the actual smells, the cooking smells. So mm-hmm. you will actually have some strata uh, plans where they've, they've actually got a bylaw saying you can't have a balcony a barbecue on your balcony purely because they don't want other people's cooking smells wafting around in other people's apartments and so and this is the thing you know people say oh i i don't like that idea i don't want to have the control of living in strata have someone else tell me what to do but you know what if you lived in a terrace house and your neighbors just as close to you really as as your neighbor in an apartment building and they're doing it you've got no say none you know whatsoever in some ways it's good and in some ways it's very restrictive but very much understand and look in, tell me, actually, in New South Wales, the bylaws form part of uh, the contractor sale, mm-hmm. and I do believe they form part of the Section Thirty Two in Melbourne, in Victoria. We have to brush up on our on our Melbourne legislation. Um, in in Queensland, it is. How does it, how does somebody get a set of bylaws? It's a disclosure statement. So the disclosure statement has a limited amount of information that needs to be on it. Um, there, it, it is actually part of the 
body corporate record search to get the bylaws and um, even the, the strata scheme uh, isn't required to be provided by the seller. Mm. So there's a very limited wow. amount of information that needs to be on there. It's, it's usually the, the, the lot entitlement. So I, I actually heard on a podcast the other day um, someone say that if, you know, if you're, if you're an owner of one apartment in a complex of 10, then you own a tenth of, of that um, complex and your, your, your voting rights are one-tenth. Well, that's actually not correct mm. because it, it, that, when, the title, when the scheme is set up, there can be different entitlements assigned to apartments according to their size and you know, some have two car parks and some use certain lifts and, and others don't use lifts. So actually entitlements aren't calculated on a, on a just percentage of um, the number of, of complexes. And that's a really important one to understand as well. But that that's one of the small pieces of information that is on the disclosure statement, what the, the levies are and what the sinking fund balance is and what the insurance information is. So pretty limited in Queensland, which is why it's so important to know what questions to ask, where to get the information and to make sure that you've got clauses on, on your contract that allow you to terminate if you find adverse you know, things that aren't going to work in your favour or just to really deal breakers um, for your for your livability. But Talk, Veronica... Talking uh, about deal breakers, just let me give you a couple of deal breakers. <laughs> Literally last week we, we were at the wire about to, you know, enter into a bidding war um, on an apartment in Sydney for a client and we had done all of our due diligence and that's all the checks and looking through the strata report and all the rest of it. And one of the things that we do when we look through the strata report and we teach you this in the course, by the way, um, is really what to look for and where the holes are. And in this particular case, the apartment had been renovated by the owner uh, 11 years previously. And the agent said to me, oh, the owner's on the strata committee. Of course it's been approved. Um, they knew exactly what to do. It's all been done above board. It's been done so well, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that was the first thing. I was like, oh, that's good. Hmm. Uh, the next thing was that this particular building, um, they hadn't, there's this, certificate called annual uh, fire safety certificate and they didn't have an up-to-date one in there mm. in, and it's seven stories high I think from memory okay and I went mm, don't like that mm. and so we went back to well why don't they have one oh yeah they're going to get one and I'm like mm, why haven't they been required to have one in the council's mm. Uh, in New South Wales have a responsibility here. And so they will often go and inspect a building. And if they find it wanting, they will actually slap what's called a fire order on it. And they will say, right, you have to upgrade. You have no choice. Ooh. And they'll have a time frame. Sounds and that like money to me. Like, that is a lot. I've seen... I've seen bills up to $2 million for this, right? One and $2 million, not unusual. Every single door, front door replaced. Um, all the the sprinkler systems throughout the entire building replaced. Fire escapes, you know, change, mm. whatever. I mean, lots and lots of changes in these buildings, right? So you don't want a building to be slapped with a fire order because say there's 50 apartments in the building and they get a million-dollar um, bill, that's a lot of money that hits your person. back pocket. We worked really it out based quickly. on the unit lot entitlements that you mentioned earlier, because that's your proportion of whatever bill gets slapped on the building. That's your what you're up yeah. for. And we worked it out that if it was a million dollars and if we bought it, this particular owner would need to cough up $33,000, right? And I'm like, 
So where do you that, find that if. after you've just but, bought a property? Well, exactly. And that's all if, 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 of course. But the reality, so we then call council to say, look, what's the status of this building? And they said, this building's not on our records. Now, because we buy so many buildings in this area, we know that's a warning sign. It may never happen. They may never have an order slapped on them. Maybe they comply, but we don't know. And we've got mm. no evidence that they do or don't comply. And so I said to my client, we don't know. Mm. And so if you can take the risk, you knock off whatever we think it might get to, worst case scenario, knock that off your purchase price, maybe then it would still go ahead. Um, but the other thing back to the renovations, and this is the thing about bylaws, so there is relevance to our second point here about bylaws. Every time a renovation is improved in strata building, there has to be a bylaw um, struck. And that is to protect the building for, you know, damage and, you know, it's to basically put responsibility on the owner to make sure everything's built according to uh, requirements, that, that what's been approved, they do their waterproofing properly, uh, you know, they move the, the goods in and out in an inappropriate way without damaging anybody else and not damaging common property. So there's all these, these requirements that they have to fulfil. And so some contracts are really, really thick in older buildings because they've had so many bylaws renovations and that's mm. great you can tell in that but in this particular case there was no bylaw for this renovation so this is, this is i'll just point out this is 11 very year much old queen, uh, this is a new south wales thing it's not yes, a queensland yes. thing yep so I would suspect there's something similar in every state that if you're going to renovate in a in a strata building or a community title building that you need to get approval within for the by the owners corporation or by the strata management and and then they have to document the the obligations of the of the renovator of the owner which which right. sometimes is just a record in the minutes the the um uh body corporate minutes Mm -hmm. So it will be different in different jurisdic mm. jurisdictions, but I do know the New South Wales. So back to the bylaws, there's a real clue as to what you might be able to do renovation-wise is hidden in the bylaws. So that's pretty cool too. But there was no bylaw for this. And I'm like, okay, so they had removed a wall and you think, okay, after 11 years, if it's going to fall down, it probably would have fallen <laughs> down. So you might be safe on that one. They had put hard flooring down. And if they hadn't insulated that, somebody new could move in downstairs and start complaining and you might lose your nice hard floors, your nice wooden floors. Mm -hmm. So that's a risk because people pay more to have timber floors in apartments and we don't know how it was done and we don't know if and it wasn't approved. Um, and then they'd also done one of my favourite little renovations, which is converting a laundry into an ensuite. Oh, they your favourite of value for an apartment. I was so proud of them. I was like, oh, they've done what I would have done. However, they didn't get approved. So if that shower starts leaking and that hasn't been adequately waterproofed and that starts damaging the apartment downstairs and there's been no approval, then that obligation and liability I think, then would pass on to my client buying mm. property. Mm. So, so we had to have a big chat with them about, well, how much do you want this? Because they, these may never happen, but because it's big unknowns and in strata, the big unknowns can turn out to be very expensive. And I guess that's the value of a buyer's agent, isn't it? They're, you know, we, we consider ourselves, we, sort of our philosophy is we advise, you decide. So I think the important thing that you've just pointed out there is you've advised them what the risks are. They've now got the all the information that they need to make a really good decision. That's what we want people to, to do is know the right questions to ask and how to ask them and how to interpret the information so that they can make a decision. You can make the decision to go ahead with something like that that but you've got the information and you know what the impact might be 
worst comes to worst. It's not going to be a surprise. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a lot of information in the bylaws, so I highly recommend you read them. (laughs) (laughs) And they can be boring. They can be very boring. (laughs) There's things like air conditioning, you know, the the process for approving air conditioning. And if there's not an air conditioning bylaw, you think, oh, dear, can I get air conditioning? Yeah, perhaps they've voted it down every time that someone's applied for it and and that's almost becoming a requirement now, isn't it? People want that air conditioning. Yeah, okay. Let's um, Visitor parking is a big one. So I lived in an apartment just for 12 months in between houses um, when I was doing a renovation and it was a, it was a reasonable side, size um, complex and there were only about seven or eight visitor car parks for what was a pretty big complex. And there... I think one of the big um, misunderstandings that homeowners have is, oh, I've got two cars, but there's only one car park. That's okay. I'll use the visitor car park for my second car. Mm. Well, in most cases, that's a no-no. And your neighbours are going to dobby win very quickly to to the the strata um, body. And if there's an on-site manager, you will have a sticker stuck on your car the first time you you stay there overnight without, you know, having an approach. And some, some complexes have... Um, a particular um, thing that you stick in on your dash when you when you've got a visitor there, and and that gets monitored. How long has that visitor been there? Whose apartment are they they actually visiting? Um, so just assuming that because there's visitor car parks, you might be able to park your second car there or if you don't have a car park on title or exclusive use that you can use the visitor car park um, you might find very quickly that you are driving around and around the streets trying to find somewhere to park your car at night because they won't let you stay in the visit car park yes that is an issue funnily enough um, I know someone that was on the strata committee in, in a building where uh, it had got out of control whenever there was a visitor, there was no visitor car parks because basically everybody was using it <laughs> for their second car or if they didn't have parking. And so she actually started, um, you know, getting agitated and, and, and cracking down on it. And so, and there were penalties that um, can be imposed because they had bylaws with penalties, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. back to that fourth layer of government, you know, you got your parking ranger. <laughs> and usually the parking slang. ranger is another owner who's fed yes. up because they can't, their visitors can't park in the car park. <laughs> exactly right. So, but one, it comes back to that also living nicely with your neighbours. It's being considerate and understanding that you're now sharing some space and you have to actually, it's not all about you anymore, kids. <laughs> Yes. Now, I guess the third big mistake that we see people make is not knowing what is covered by strata levies and what isn't. Mm. And there are such different schemes. So you can't even kind of educate yourself on one scheme and think that you've got it covered because there's actually different schemes and different interpretations of schemes and and different um, uh, one just because a complex looks like another one. It may be you have a a thing called a company title in New South Wales, I think you've mentioned to me, which we, we don't have up here. Um, yeah, and then that's there's a other weird, other most, different schemes. Most first home buyers won't be buying company title. And I'll just sort of briefly touch on that company title. Before, but it's important to know, right? Because yeah. if they come across a company title, they need to understand, you really need to understand what 
what you're buying into well, here. Here's the thing. If you f- see a property's company title, probably don't go for it because mm. <laughs> it, unless you've got a huge deposit or your parents go and guarantor or something like that, you're going to find it difficult to borrow money for a company title. And that is because you're actually technically buying shares in a company which gives you exclusive use over that apartment or that lot, right? Because this was a form of ownership that was created before strata title was invented, and so you'll find it in certain parts of Sydney in older buildings, um, in older sort of more established areas. So in Potts Point, Elizabeth Bay, for instance, around there is quite a lot of company title buildings. Um, and so because it's a bit more difficult to get your finance, you will find that a lot of first home buyers are aren't able to buy the property. But so you kind of, if you know that, then you don't even waste your time going and having a look at it. And there's a little and falling in love with it. Yeah, and look, and I've actually heard of people going and bidding on it and not realising it and then finding <gasps> out afterwards and couldn't get finance. So that's oh. that's pretty bad. And that's oh, that breaks my really heart. no due diligence. So the thing is with company title, right, there's a couple of little giveaways. The water rates are always included in the strata levy, in the levies. They're not strata levies, they're company levies. Um, the water rates are always included. So if you see ever on an ad it says levies including water, mm, probably company Ooh, title. red flag. Little, little, you know, little tip there. And the other thing too, quite often, look, most agents are smart enough to, to make a point. It's strata title or it's company title in the ad, but they don't always. So if it doesn't mention it and then you're in a, buying a probably in an older section of town, then ask the question, mm. just is it strata title just to find out? But with what is covered by the strata levies, a lot of people say, I don't want to, you know, buy apartment because I don't want to pay levies. <laughs> and I get that, except so they, they're paid every quarter and they are calculated to for two things. One is the uh, admin fund, so that's to run the building, and that's like the lights and the power for the insurance and the insurance and the gardening and um, just the general corporate managers. Yeah, yeah, if there's an on-site manager or building Mm. manager, whatever. All of that sort of day-to-day running of a building, that's what that covers. Uh, And did you say strata manager? Yep. Um, Those fees come out of the admin, right? And then there's what used to be called the Sinking Fund in New South Wales. Now it's called the Capital Works Fund. I think it's still called a Sinking Fund Still Sinking Fund, fund in Queensland, yeah. And what that is is that's basically your savings. That's your rainy day savings. That's, that's <laughs> your savings for your your big in, your big sort of um, capital work. So in the sense that if the roof needs replacing, which one day it will, yeah. um, then they're saving money towards that. They're saving money towards the lift breaking down. They're saving money towards, um, you know, the garage door needing maintenance. They're saving money towards balcony you know, railings painting. being upgraded. Yeah. yeah, and there's a methodology to how they calculate these things. It's it's not just a um, oh well one day we'll have Finger to replace the, the roof and it costs you know, $30,000 to do that. There's actual, there's professionals, quantity surveyors who do forward forecasts. Mm. So sinking fund or capital works forecasts. And and they actually do often a 10, 20 or 40 year forecast. And they're, they're extrapolating out when are these things probably going to need to be replaced? 
what could they be worth with inflation taking into account at the time they need to be done? And therefore, how much money does each owner has to have to contribute in order for the money to be in that sinking fund, plus the money that needs to be there for the work that needs to be done the next year, the next year, and the next year after that? So there's a very, very solid methodology that is used to actually calculate how much the levies are going to be based on when works are probably going to need to be done. And that's so important because not everybody corporate has that that sinking fund forecast and some avoid doing it because it costs money to do it but it's it's the best way to calculate the levies and 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 in doing a strata report or a body corporate record search um, that's one of the big things that we look at and we look at how much money is in the sinking fund compared to how much should be there Mm. because it might give a bit of a hint as to whether a special levy might be coming up if there's not enough money in the sinking fund to cover some of the big works that are coming up. And that's very important because what has often happened in some of these buildings is that you'll have a lot of people who say, I want to keep my levies low. Mm. And so they do that long enough. There's not enough money in the, the kitty when they do have a big thing go wrong. And leaks are a nightmare. Then they happen. And you need to have the money there so that then you, they don't get slapped with a special levy because they have to get paid for somehow. It's akin to owning a home and saying, I'm not going to clean the leaves out of the gutters (laughs) because it's going to cost me $220 a year to do that. And then finding that your gutters actually rust quicker and you you have to replace them four years in advance of what you should have replaced them because you didn't spend the $220 getting the, the leaves cleaned out of the gutters. Yeah, that's that's good, kind of you know if I'm keeping my levies down, I'm probably not doing the work that I need to do. But then it's going to cost me more in the long long run. Yeah, or even worse, you you sell out. You've been keeping your levies low, and then you sell out, and the new owner comes in, and this is where your first home buyers can get caught out because the new owner comes in and goes, oh great, low levies, this is really good. This <laughs> building doesn't cost very much, and then it's like the next thing they get a ten thousand dollars special levy because there's no money in the kitty because everyone's kept the levies low. But someone's got to pay for it. And so this mm. person, the new people, and I've heard plenty of stories where people have done this, they didn't realise there was a special levy coming up because they didn't know the questions to ask and the signs to look for when they mm. were actually What to read in the meeting minutes. Yes, there's so lots all of the hints, little signs. A lot of hints in meeting minutes that, that you yeah. can dig into. Very so, much so. So there can also be, so with the different schemes, different things can be covered. I've seen schemes where uh, roofing, guttering, downpipes are covered by the body corporate levies and other schemes where they're actually not. So if you're, for example, a townhouse, if you have a townhouse, you could actually be responsible for the upkeep and replacement of downpipes and guttering. Mm. Now that that's that can be a big expense. So you need to understand the scheme, what is covered and what isn't covered. And that's such a big question to actually ask your conveyancer because they are the ones that understand and can interpret and give you the information about the scheme. But you've got to ask. It's so true. In fact, just I saw one recently where the um the requirement to clean the windows was actually the individual unit holders. Um, external windows. Yeah. <sighs> so so it's like, well, that's a bit annoying. <laughs> So there's lots and lots of different things there. Also, the requirement to upgrade or renovate. Some some um, some schemes can require you, uh, if you are responsible for your external painting, uh, you can be required to do an external paint or an upgrade at a certain point in time, replace fencing or, um, you know, keep keep your, your court. If you've got a courtyard, you have to keep it to a certain um, mm. level of, of maintenance and trees and so forth cut to a certain level. So really important to understand the impact 
impact on on you, what your levies cover, cover, what they don't cover, and what you may have to do yourself. Because if you if you drop the ball on that one, and suddenly you've got a huge expense coming up that you haven't budgeted for, um, you could end up in, in a, you know really quite tight with money. Very much so. It, it it's you know strata can be great. Because, mm. you know, there's... This is not about talking about a strata, by the way. This is not no, an, no, no. This is not you an know. anti-strata podcast. <laughs> this is, this is actually, you know, the common mistakes and how you can uh, um, inform yourself and be aware of them so that you don't end up in, in a pickle like some people have. Because a lot of people, and, and back to what I was saying earlier, about that they avoid strata because they don't want to pay levies. Mm. The reality is what they realise is, what they don't realise, I should say, is that if they own a house, they have to pay to maintain that house themselves. Yeah. Granted, they're not forced to budget in a quarterly ma- manner in the same way you do with a strata in a strata plan. Um, however, you still, if that roof goes, you, you're you 100% liable for it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, and you don't just pay your entitlements to it. You pay the 100%. Yeah. So, you know, the good thing about strata is that, you know, those Costs are actually amortised across all the people that live in that or own in that building. And so, you know, a well-run strata can be a fabulous place to live. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it can have an amazing community and actually be really well-run. A terribly-run strata can be a nightmare to buy into. So I think that this is all in a way summed up by a really well-run strata. You know, that's what you're looking for when you're buying and you're looking for signs to avoid is you know, those signs of a poorly run strata, you do mm. not want to be buying into one of those buildings. Mm. That, local, that that sort of owner-occupier pride too is a bit of a an indication. If you're buying into a building that is largely investor-based, mm-hmm. you might find that the common areas aren't as well kept. You know, that's a little sign and, and you can investigate a little bit more and find out what the balance between owner-occupiers and investors are. Um, so how it presents and how well it's kept can often be an indication of how well the body corporate or the strata managers are actually com- looking after the building and how house-proud the, the people who live there yes. are. Because uh, you do want to live amongst people who are as proud of their homes as as you are. Um, you don't want to be walking through leaves that have gathered in the in the lift well because no one's actually cleaned them out, or um, the, the the security door is constantly open and and has a, a brick in it holding it open. You know, where's the security in that? Because people forget to take their key. Um, so you know these are all little little signs to look for uh, along along the way, Veronica. It pays to have a list of questions to ask uh, the agent or your conveyancer. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's really important that people don't rely on someone else to tell you what you need to know, um, but actually inform yourself. 100%, because the thing is that as you and I both know, and we, and we talk about this in the PACE course, guys, honestly, it's $749. It's, so, it's money well spent. So I encourage you all to do this if you're listening to this thinking, oh, my God, I really need to 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 um, you know, swat up on this stuff. Early on, the very first part of the PACE process is preparation and it's actually, you know, getting your A-team, getting the advisors on board. Now, there's good conveyances, there's bad conveyances. You know, that episode with Jenny Tonner a few back, yeah. the conveyancing episode, questions to ask conveyancer, listen to that one. There are conveyances that won't know what to look for, you know, and 
you need to take responsibility and understand what you need to be asking and, and what you need to be looking for. Because a lot of, I've heard a lot of lawyers read strata reports and all they do is comment on the sinking fund balance. That's, <laughs> yes. all, they, that's, that's all they've got to add to the conversation. And, and, and check that the insurance amount is reasonable. Reasonable yeah. compared to what? And, and, you, and there's a hell of a lot more that you need to familiarise yourself with. And, and and the thing is that a lot of people's eyes will glaze over and go, oh, my God, it's all too hard. It's overwhelming. But the reality is that I tell you what's hard if you buy into a dud building. Mm. So, you know, we cover so much of this in your first home buyer course. Um, and, you know, all... What are we doing here? We're going to give you a list. We're going to give you a download, aren't we? Yeah, let's give them a download. <laughs> let's, let's give them a download. Give them a little, just a few. Ten questions to ask yourself or your your actual employed advisor. Advisor, Remember, you know, you, you should only trust the information that comes from someone that you're paying. Yes. <laughs> Don't trust the agent because the we agent have, will say all sorts of things. Well, the agent only facilitate. has to respond with what they know. And if the agent hasn't, you know, disclosure requirements in different states are vastly different. So if the agent doesn't have to ask the question and they don't know the information, they haven't got to reveal it to you, you've got to know what to ask them to force them to ask the question so that they've got to reveal it to you. So it's like this thing that goes around. You, you, you are the one who has to ask the questions. You can't rely on someone else. So what we're going to do is we've put a few of the questions that in the course we have a, a big array of questions that we give you to to ask of the right people we're going to put a few of those questions in the download section so at least gets you started on thinking about things when you start looking at apartments um, and then you'll start to build that knowledge base or do the course get the whole lot of questions and put yourself in the best position to buy a better property in this episode we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers if you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.